0: Thank you, Dan. Grab your Bibles. If you have them, turn to Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Many of you recognize the name Meriwether Lewis. He was known uh, famously for the Lewis and Clark Expedition when they explored the Mississippi River and ultimately the Louisiana Purchase all the way to the coast. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, former president, said this, of Meriwether Lewis. He was a man of courage undaunted, possessing a firmness and perseverance of purpose which nothing but impossibilities could divert. He was careful or as careful as a father to those who were committed to his charge. After serving in the army, Lewis became uh, the personal assistant to President Jefferson. Actually, his specific responsibilities included uh, managing President Jefferson's Monticello In a biography of Lewis, David Nevin described how Lewis received the assignment, if you will, uh, for the Lewis and Clark expedition. Uh, Lewis, he saw President Jefferson interview uh, several of the candidates to lead the trip, and he knew in his heart, he was kind of brash, but he knew in his heart that he was more qualified than any of them. But he didn't want to be disrespectful to the president, so he didn't want to just, you know, and come across as, hey, I don't like the job I have, I want that job. But one afternoon, President Jefferson and Lewis were out riding horses uh, on, at Monticello, and he couldn't contain himself. And he said to the president, he said, sir, the chances of this expedition failing are 9 out of 10 unless I... Lead it. Oh, my, said the president, sounds like you're demanding the assignment. And Lewis spoke slowly and respectfully and said, sir, I suppose that I am, but I really want the command. There was a long silence. And then President Jefferson said, you will have it. As they were riding back to the house, to the main house, Lewis looked at him and said, he said, said, sir, you were waiting for me to ask, weren't you? You were waiting for me to ask for the command. And the president laughed out loud and said, young man, you have caught me out. Yes, I was waiting. And here's what the president said. A man who can't bring himself to ask for something of this magnitude, demand it really. Hardly deserves it. I didn't want to just give it to you. I wanted you to take it. And you did. And my question is, does God want to just give us the things he has for us? Or does he want us to come to him in faith and take them? Literally in a spiritual sense, to come to him and say, God, you've promised this is for me. You see, I'm convinced that when Jesus was teaching his disciples, when they when they said, hey, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray? Uh, we're going to look at a text. He told them what to say, but even more, he told them what to do. And so let, I want you to look in your Bibles there at, at Luke chapter 11 we're going to skip the first part cuz we all know that you know the model prayer we talked about a couple weeks ago you know we pray for the ball games when we was growing up you know father in heaven hallowed be your name jesus told him what to say but i want you to i want you to look beginning in verse 5 because because he he told us kind of what to do when it comes to prayer and he said to them look look with me which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him friend lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his... I love this word. Because of his impudence, he will, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you asking it will be given to you, seeking and you will find, knocking and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Father, in these next few moments, as as you show us what to do when we pray, God, I pray that you would speak just with clarity. God, I pray that you would speak uh, with conviction into our hearts. And and Father, that that we would uh, aspire to be great Prayers, great praying people, that we would, uh, in, in a spiritual sense, that we would, that we would demand of you what you promised to us, that we would come with boldness and faith, expecting our God, our Father, our good, good Father to give us what you promised. And so God, would you speak into our hearts this morning? And Father, I would pray for the man, the woman, the young person that's not yet a believer, that they would see that, that we have a Father in heaven who, who loves us so passionately that he wants to do for us things unthinkable, blessings unimaginable, that are, that are available to those of us who are his children. And they might see that, that there's such benefit to knowing Jesus and to serving him as Lord. And then, Father, uh, as I speak, I pray that you'd bring to mind every word that's relevant, that I would forget those things that are not God, that I wouldn't speak according to my wisdom, but you would hide me behind the cross and that you would speak through your spirit into our hearts so that we might honor Jesus with our lives. So God, come meet with us is our prayer, and we ask it in the strong name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, this parable and and, uh, the, the instructions surrounding it really on both sides uh, is is a, is a follow up to the disciples' question. You know, Jesus had been out praying, and and, and maybe they just kind of showed up and they heard him praying, or maybe they just kind of been paying attention all the time they'd been with him and how he prayed and, and God moved. But for whatever reason, they said, they said, "Lord Jesus, could you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples? John taught his guys. We would love for you to teach." Uh, and so he gave him the model prayer. We kind of talked about that uh, a couple of occasions. He kind of said, here's what you say. And I think that was kind of an outline. But, but then he talked about, here's what I want you to do. And, and, and here's the thing. Genuine, fervent, life-changing prayer is seldom born out of knowledge. I, I mean, fervent, life-changing prayer doesn't happen because we know how to pray. Cause let's be honest, most of us know how to pray. I mean, we could just follow that outline, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, so we ought to, we ought to give him praise. Uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We should pray for God's purpose, right? Uh, give us this day our daily bread. Okay, so we should, you know, we pray for God's provision. Uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive those. So we pray for God's pardon and we offer God's pardon. And then he says, deliver us uh, or lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, so we pray for God's protection. So we know how to do that. I mean, we we know how to praise God. We know how to uh, ask God for His provision and pray for His purpose, and and we know how to ask forgiveness. And, and, and we 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 know how to ask God to protect us. But but that's not enough. See, l- fervent prayer, life changing prayer, is 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 born out of need. Man, it's, when we have a great need or we have a great desire that, that really leads to a passion for prayer, then, then we're gonna pray. And, and, otherwise it's, it's, our prayer's gonna be non-existent, or it's just gonna be kind of this duty prayer that, well, you know, I gotta pray, so we get up and we just kind of go through, we go through the motions. But, but when there's, when there's this need, when there's a, a fervency, when there's an urgency, it creates a passion. And almost, a, in a sense, a, a, a desperation. And so, uh, and, and since I've got a senior moment, I think we've got an outline for me today So it's help me work along. Y'all already had one senior moment a minute ago with the announcements. But uh, but, but we need to be passionate in prayer. And, and that's really what we see uh, in, in our text is they had passion. Jesus said, listen, you, you need to have passion. Notice if he says, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before me. And he will answer within, don't bother me. And the guy says, okay, well, I'll just go next door because he doesn't want to be bothered. No, no, Jesus said, no, he, he's not going to give you what you want because, you know, just because you want it. He's going to give it because you got some passion. I mean, think almost in terms of Desperation. I mean, here's what it's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around. In the, in the ancient Oriental culture, when somebody showed up to your house unannounced, the way you treated them was almost, I mean, it was almost legendary. You didn't, you know, if somebody comes to our house at midnight, it's kind of like, hey, the, there's a room at the top of the stairs. Just put your bags down. You know, breakfast is at 8, coffee's ready at 7.30. Have a good night, right? I mean, that's what, that's what they're going to get from us. But in that culture, somebody comes in at midnight, you're like, hey, we've got to put something in front of them. We've got to feed them. We've got to care for them. we, we got to meet their need. And, and so this guy, the, the family arrives at midnight. The, the, the friends arrive at midnight, and he's, he looks at his cupboard. The men, there's nothing there. He hadn't been to H-E-B all week and, you know, whatever happened. And he goes, man, i got to have something for them. And so he goes next door, and he says, hey, hey, man, can you open up? I've got a need here. Uh, some people have showed up. I've got a need right? And the guy's like, Hey, we're in bed. We're, you know, but, but what I, what I want us to understand is there's this, there's this, this desperation, there's this passion. Uh, and, and so he keeps asking and, and that's what, what, what passion does, what desperation does. It, it, it causes us to keep asking. And, and the beautiful thing about God is God will often allow his children to struggle to the point that we have to ask Him. I mean, God, there's just times when God wants us to get to where we ask. I mean, think about the, the Israelites at the Red Sea. You know, they had the water in front of them. They had the army behind them. They were desperate. I mean, you look at sometimes with the disciples... You know, you look at some time. You know, you look at in, with the believers in the New Testament, and God just kind of, kind of does that because He wants us to ask. I mean, remember when your kids are little and they're, they're trying to do something that they can't quite do, and, and they need some help, and you know they need help, but they don't want help, and they just keep doing. And, and after a few minutes, you can, you can feel the tension, and they get a little frustrated, and they, they just. Why don't you work, you know, whatever. And, and you go, so why don't you ask for help? And they go, no, no, I can't, I got it. But but eventually, and so you just wait, but eventually, Dad, can you help me with this? There's just times where God wants to get you and me to this place where we say, Dad, can you help me with this? Because what, what desperation does is it, it drives it drives passion. It, and a lot of times that is born out of weakness. See, when, when we understand that we can't, that, that's when we begin to depend on God. Uh, the, the pastor and, and great pastor and author, Jim Simbala of, of Brooklyn Tab, in, in his book, Fresh Wind and Fresh, Fresh Fire, he talked about how God's attracted the weakness. But here's what he says. He says, God can't resist those who humbly and honestly... Admit how desperately they need Him. And so the question is not do we know how to pray. But the question is do we, do we pray with this passion? Do we pray with this sense of, of, of desperation? Uh, because God is such a loving Father. When, when we come desperately, He wants to speak into our lives. But he wants us to to be weak. He wants us to depend. Remember when Paul, I think it's in 2 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 9, where Paul's talking about he's got the thorn in the side, and we don't really know what that was, but we know it was bothering him. And maybe it was because he had a lot of pride, because he had this vision of heaven or whatever. But he says, God, can you take this away? And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength or my power is made perfect in weakness. And so what God often wants to do is to get us desperate so that we can't save ourselves, that we will come to him. In fact, uh, Deuteronomy 4.29 says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and all your souls. You see, sometimes God just wants us to get get us to a place to where uh, we know we can't help ourselves, and then we'll call out to him. And so it's a it's a point of need of of desperation, if you will, and, and that's just not need for us. And, and, and sometimes, you know, God calls us to be desperate not just for our own needs, but there are often times when God calls us to be desperate for those around us. And as I mentioned earlier, this is National Day of Prayer for the persecuted church, and and you know, we're uh, a lot of us are a little bit disturbed about uh, what's going to happen in America and what's going to happen with our election, and there's a little bit of uncertainty and. And, and, and I get that because I'm kind of there with you and have been there with you. But, but I, want you, I want us to understand today as we think about the persecuted church, we have brothers and sisters all across the globe that have desperate needs. And, and we want to we hear about that, and then we're going to pray for them. So I've, I've invited Joe Davis to come and share uh, just one story. Joe, if you'll come, and he's just going to tell us about one little church. Our one church, and can we get this mic, Brian, hot? There we go. Joe,
1: if you'll share with us. So today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and I want to start by uh, quoting from uh, Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amitah, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, for the sin of that great city has come up before me. Today we know Nineveh by its Arabic name, Mosul. Mosul is a city, if you've been following the news, where a great battle is taking place right now as the organization known as the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. ISIS, as it's sometimes called, is waging battle against the Iraqi government and a, and a consortium of other groups to uh, be removed from that city. And in that city was a great church, Chaldean, Armenian, and Syrian Christians that dates all the way back to the time of Thomas and Thaddeus, who were the founding uh, apostles of that church. Now that church, just as recently as 2003, there were as many as 1,500,000 Christians in that area. Now they're down to less than 200,000 and they're all living in camps in Erbil, a city just about 50 kilometers to the east of Mosul. Their churches have been burned. Daughters have been taken as hostages, as forced into marriages with Muslim men. Uh, the, even the Kurdish people who normally are, are generally more favorable to Christians are tr- mistreating them. Their property has been seized. Pastors have been arrested. There's no longer access to the Word of God. But this ancient church still clings to survival, and they are, they are great people. They've stood the test of time through the centuries, the millennia. And, and these congregations are some of the oldest congregations in Christianity. And today they are under severe pressure, severe fire from the enemy. But we we should stand with them in prayer and stand with them as our brothers and sisters. They need us today, I can assure you. Right. Thank you, Joe. Here,
0: you know, what I've, as I said, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't, you know, if we just talked about praying, I think we're gonna stop it and, and we're gonna pray for, uh, this particular church. But I wanna pray for all of our brothers and sisters in so many places. Man, there's so much going on around the world. But, but here's what I wanna encourage us to do. I, I want us to not pray American this morning. Because it, when you pray American, we pray for safety. You know, we pray, hey, God, will you keep us safe on our travel? God, will you keep us safe? Will you give us a good night? God, can we have a great day tomorrow? Now, it's okay to pray that way because we pray for safety. But but what our brothers and sisters, they don't need safety as much as they need God to move in their heart. They they need encouragement. In fact, Open Doors, who, who really uh, ministers to the persecuted church, has given us three areas that they've asked us to pray in. First of all, they've, they've said pray for our brothers and sisters that they would endure persecution. As Americans, we want to escape persecution. But they say pray for endurance. That's what Paul said. Remember First Timothy? Paul said to Timothy, endure hardship like a good soldier. So, so we need to pray they would endure persecution. Number two, uh, we need to pray that, that they would share the gospel with lost people. They would share the gospel with the lost people. And then number three, um, and this is hard for us. We talked about this in our prayer time. We need to pray that they would love their persecutors. And it's hard to love our enemy. It really is. If somebody's on the other side of the aisle from us, and, you know, theologically or morally or wherever it is, man, it's hard. And yet the Bible tells us, calls us to love. By this, all men will know if you're my, you're my disciples, if you want if you love one another. So I'm going to invite you to take a few moments. Let's get in groups of three or four or five. And if you're not comfortable in a group, you can pray on your own. Dan's going to come and play some music. Can we get those three areas up up here? We've got a slide. You know, in the three arenas to pray for them. Pray for they would endure hardship uh, or, or endure persecution. Uh, pray that they would uh, share the gospel. And pray that they would love their persecutors. And so let's just take a few minutes and just, uh, we're going to just pray. And we're going to ask God. Uh, to move in their lives. So take a few moments for that. Father, as we uh, think about our brothers and sisters, Lord, it's so hard for us to, to wrap our mind around a culture to where, where your life is on the line. God, where your, where your property, your possessions are, are at, at the mercy of the persecutors. God, where our children, our wives... Can be taken, and and God, for some of us, we go, how, you know, how can that be? And and yet, Lord, the Scripture just talks about that. That in the last days, there's just going to be great difficulty, and yet those who who endure, those who persevere, will gain a better resurrection. And God, I pray for the brothers and sisters whose lives are are on the line today. God, I pray for those who who are not going to live out today because they're going to stand for the sake of the gospel. They're going to lose their life today because of Jesus. God, would you give them courage? God, would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? that as, as, As Stephen was able to stand before his persecutors and pray, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. God, I pray for our brothers and sisters. Just give them boldness. And then for us here at home. God, when we, when we fear having a conversation about Jesus with someone, just remind us, God, that we need to be bold. That we need to uh, not be safe, but be faithful to Jesus. God, help us to boldly proclaim the gospel we believe in. God, be with our brothers, be with our sisters, be with us as our prayer, and we ask it in Jesus' awesome name, amen. Well, thank you for, for, for giving us a few minutes, and, and let's, you know, just as you think about it, as God stirs your heart over these days, as, as we see a, an article on the website the news site or whatever or we hear a story there's a backstory. there's a there's a family of believers or a church of believers a group of believers man let's pray for them let's pray for them you know we've talked about we talked about how we need to be passionate uh in in times of desperation but i want us to look secondly at at what we would say we'd call persistence in prayer i pointed out that word in verse eight uh let's look back at it again He says, I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Again, I like that word. The word, it means bold. It means brash. It means uh, impertinent. It means uh, confidently courageous. And and Jesus said he's going to get a response because he persists in prayer. The reason he got out of bed and gave him three loaves had nothing to do with being his friend. It had everything to do with the fact that that he would not take no for an answer. Uh, King James says, uses the word, uh, because of his importunity, uh, because of his boldness, he got up. Uh, and so I mean, think about this. If someone comes to our door and knocks on, if somebody comes to your door tonight at any time, but particularly at night and they knock on your door and let's just say you're indisposed, maybe you're asleep or maybe you're in the shower or, or maybe you're taking a nap or maybe you're brushing your teeth, but whatever you're doing, you don't want to be disturbed. And if somebody comes and knocks on the door and you're a little bit indisposed, the first thing you're going to do is not answer the door. Or at least the first thing I'm going to do is probably uh, not answer the door. We're going to ignore it and just kind of hope that that they'll go away, and they probably will go away. But every now and then somebody's going to keep on knocking, and you're going to go. I got to I got to answer this. I, I I may have told you this story, but uh, back during the Bastrop fires, uh, one Sunday night uh, it was unusual because we were in bed at nine thirty and we were asleep, and, and about. About 10:30 had been about 45 minutes or an hour, and, and I don't know what happens that first little bit of sleep. But you get in this place, and and I heard this noise, and it was just, and and I and it, I come a lot, and I come awake, and I was just, you know, I was disoriented, and then it was just, I mean, it was just. And and we're like, what is that? What is that? And it just and, and so finally, I, I go to the door. I think I got some shorts on and, and or whatever. And 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 I, I say, I got to get to the door. And what happened was the duplex beside us was on fire. And the guy that lived in the trailer park across the street was driving home, and he could, he could see the back of this duplex and he could see the fire. And so he just started with us, and he says. You know, you need to get up. You need to get your family out. There's a fire next door. And, and, and he said, I've tried to get the, you know, uh, I I can't get the lady next, beside you to come to the door. So I ran and got my girls and said, y'all need to get up and you need to get in the car. And, and then we went to Miss Smith's and we began to do, we began to knock on the door until, uh, we got our way. But, but here's what I'm saying. Listen, when, 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 when you persist, you get a response. See, that guy was desperate to help us. So he stayed with it until he got an answer. And it just seems like that God often wants us to stay with it, to be passionate and to be persistent. God wants to know, do we really want what we're asking for? I think the biggest reason that we don't get our prayers answered is is we're not really serious. Because if we're serious, we're, we're not going to quit at one ask. I mean, remember what God said to Moses? God said, Moses, I've, I've been hearing my people cry out for 400 years. Can you imagine? I mean, if we don't get an answer in four days... It's like, God, I can't, I mean, why, I I don't, I don't get, you know, we're put out with God and and yet scripturally, the idea is you got to persist. I mean, Jesus, Jesus told the story up in, uh, uh, in Luke 18, he talked about that. We'll look at that in just a moment, but but we, listen, we, we've got, we got to stay with it. God said, listen, you, you need to keep on keeping on. That's what Jesus said. Listen, he, he. He, he persisted. And so often we pray a little bit for a little while. And if God doesn't answer, we go, okay, I guess he doesn't want me to have that. When your grandbaby wants ice cream and he comes and says, Grandma, can I have some ice cream? And you, and you don't answer, do they stop asking So why, so why when we go to God and say, God, will you, and, and, and we don't get an answer, why do we stop? Because what you, God wants to know, do you really want it? Cause I mean, that's, we kind of, you know, uh, we got other reasons for not giving them ice cream, but you know, sometimes you just, you know, it's kind of like they walk by the candy dish and have a piece of candy, Well, at least they ask, that's a good thing. But I mean, sometimes it, it's just, there's no great want or desire. You just, you know, you just sit and kind of, you know, you say, well, there's some candy, maybe I should get some. And you ask, and, and if you say no, they go on about their business. But if they want it, if they really want it, they keep asking. And so there ought to be passion in our prayer. There ought to be pers- persistence in our prayer. And, and then and then there's just one other thing. There, there's just a practical piece to the prayer. and And Jesus kind of gives that down there where he talks about, you know, Asking it will be given; seeking you will find; knocking the door will be open. Now, different theologians suggest some different things here, and obviously, I think there's a progression. I think, I think, if you ask, it's one thing; if you seek, it, there's a little more intensity when you seek. When you knock, there's a little more intensity when you knock than there is maybe when you seek. And and, and I get that, and I think there's a sense of that. But there's there, there's also there's a little bit something else there that I find kind of interesting, is. Is that when Jesus said, ask and you will receive, it just seems like he's pointing to God providing us what we don't yet have. So when you think about, okay, if I ask, I'm going to receive something, that means I don't have this, but I want it. And I really believe that that speaks uh, to the potential to release God's provision In your life. Uh, Many of you know the story or some of you probably know the story of George Mueller. He was a pastor in England, uh, actually a German pastor in England in the the 19th century. Uh, He stumbled on a very, you know, there wasn't a lot of faith and a lot of spirituality at his point, at that particular point, at least in Bristol area of England. And he he stumbled on this verse uh, where God said, open wide your mouth and I will fill it. And God stirred his heart and he said, you know." I want to be a part of something that can only be explained by the power of God. And so he decided that any time he had a need, he was going to pray about it and not tell a soul about it. And over, he started a school for scripture knowledge. He started two orphanages that are or actually, I think up to four orphanages that could care for 2,000 children at a time. In his lifetime, they cared for over 10,000 orphans. He distributed uh, something like 8 or $9 million, never asked anyth- anybody for anything. And when he died, he had about $800 to his name. And, and, but he asked God for his provision, and God would provide. I mean, I mean, th- and I can't tell you the story exactly, but I remember reading one story where, where in the orphanage, they sat down for breakfast, all the kids, they come and sat down. They didn't have anything to eat, and he said, let's pray. And so they pray, and they begin to thank God for the food that He was going to provide. And while they were there, somebody knocks on the door, and they go, "Here, here are all the here here's all the bread that was left over yesterday at, the, at this particular bakery." And they bring it in, and they feed the kid. See, He understood the value that when you ask in faith, <laughs> you receive. And so asking releases God's provision. And, and then He says, that "The second thought there is the, is the seeking." And you will find, uh, and it's the idea there is that there's some things that are hidden from us, and and the only way we're going to to get them is we've got to search. There's got to be a search. There's got to be you got to seek out uh, for them. And if you've ever lost a ring or if you've ever misplaced an item of jewelry or or a, a, a wad of money or whatever, you kind of understand. You know when something when something's hidden or lost. Um, you don't just ask God; you start searching for it, and that's kind of the idea here: is uh, that we would search for it. And you know, really, the thought is uh, when when we what God wants us to He really wants us to, to seek after and and search after uh, Him. Uh, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen He taught, Jeremiah talks about how you, when you sit on the screen there, you'll seek me and find me. When you look at this, when you seek me with all your heart. And then in Isaiah 55, I think it's verse 6, it says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. So there's this sense of, it's one thing to ask, but man, there's there's even more to seeking. And I think the seeking uh, really is about the presence of God. I mean, it's possible for us to experience the presence of God. Now I know God's omnipresent and I know God is everywhere all the time and I get that and I understand that. But there are just, there there are just times when you can experience God's manifest presence. It's just, I can't really explain it. It's just like you're there, you're seeking Him and you just, He's just there and you know it and, and it's, there's just, it's different. Jacob experienced that uh, over in the Old Testament and he set up a rock to remind him. And you might be going, well, what does it mean to to experience God's manifest presence? Well, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't experienced that. And, And yet the scripture says, seek him, seek him while he may be found. And then, lastly, he says, "Knock." And there's a, there's a little more urgency to lot to knocking. Seeking, I think, deals a lot with his presence. Asking deals a lot with provision. Meant um, knocking deals uh, deals a lot with with his purpose, uh, because because sometimes doors are closed and, and we don't know what's next or we don't know what God wants for us, and so we've got to we've got to we've got to knock and, and really find out. You remember the story? I think it's in Acts sixteen where Paul and they're on their missionary journey and and they wanted to go to Asia and preach the gospel and they got to Asia and God said, no, no, God just forbid them. And I don't know how he forbid them, but he says, you're not going there. And so they turn over here and they go, well, what if we go to Bithynia? That would be good. And so they begin to move toward going to Bithynia and God says, no, no, that's not where I want you to go. And God stopped them. And that night, Paul has this dream, this vision of the man in Macedonia. And the man in Macedonia says, can you come over here and help us? And I think think what Paul said was, we perceive that God wanted us to go there. Why? Because God opened that door. Well, they kept knocking and knocking and they found where God wanted to go. And, And so... So Jesus says, listen, there's times when we just need to, we need to not, we need to see, okay, God, what is next for us? But in order to do that, we, we've got to be, we've got to be willing to step out. We've got to be willing to ask. We've got to be willing to seek. But we've got to be willing to knock. There needs to be uh, some persistence there. And, and and I've told you this story, man. We were going to go on a mission trip in 2001. And, and you know, I wanted to go to Romania. I mean, the, we got acquainted with this church. And they were sending people to France and African. I, I wanted to go to all those places. And then they said, well, you know, you really ought to go to India. And I thought, man, I don't want to go to India at all. And you shouldn't tell God what you don't want to do. But I I remember my friend Robbie says, Hey, I'm going to have lunch with Lee Caltonbot. Lee, about going to India. Do you want to go? And I didn't want to go. And so I just made a. you know, I had plenty to do. And I said, Well, I'm doing this. You go ahead. Thinking if I didn't go, we wouldn't go. Well, you know how God, God has a sense of humor. You know, we wound up going to India three times. <laughs> so, uh, but, but, but what I'm saying is you, but, but you gotta, you know, God will, God, if you're knocking, cause we wanted to go somewhere. We wanted to preach the gospel on foreign soil. We want to go somewhere. And we said, we want to go here. Man, this looks nice. We'd like to go here. And so we're knocking and knocking and knocking. And God says, no, no, not there. Here's where I want you to go. And so there's just if we're going to see God's face, uh, we you know if we're going to if we're going to not we, we got to be willing to do what God has called us to do. Now we got to, We got to wrap up our time's gone. But the possibilities of prayer they're limited only by the person and power of God, and He is unlimited. And that's what the Scripture uh, talks about over and over that we're to we're to approach God with boldness and confidence. Man, that's why, that's why the writer of Hebrews says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Let us come boldly. Can I just ask you, how, how often, listen, how often do we come boldly to God? Desperately and passionately and say, God, we need you. God, I need you to move here. I mean, how often do we come with impudence and importunity, how often do we come into God's presence and and, and we just we're, we're passionate? and We say, "God, you got to move here." I mean, how often do we do that? Because God longs for us to do that. I mean, that's why in Hebrews ten he talks about we have confidence through the blood of Jesus to enter into the holy places. And then he goes on to say, because we have a new and living way, let us draw near to God. But if we're going to do that, then we've got to have passion. But we've, we've got to persist. We've got to persist. We've got to say, "I'm not God, I'm not going to stop until you move. Quick story, we're done. Little boy, I don't know, he's four or five years old. Dad puts him to bed. And, you know, it was a ritual to get him in the bed and you know, they go through all this stuff and it takes him about five minutes. They say the prayers or whatever. And he shuts the door and he goes, sits down to each chair and says, finally, I can just have some time. Two or three minutes went by and the little boy says, dad, can I have a drink of water? Son, go to sleep. A couple more minutes. dad. I really need a drink of water. Son, I told you to go to sleep. A couple more minutes. Dad, can I have a drink of water? Son, I've told you for the last time to go to sleep. If I have to come in there, if I hear a word out of you again, I'm going to spank you. A couple more minutes. Dad, when you come in here to spank me, <laughs> could you bring me a drink of water? The dad knew he wanted a drink of water. So here's the thing. How often does God know? How often does God know that we really, really want what we're asking for? Because until he does... He's probably not going to answer.